Welcome to this BGSM podcast. I'm Stefan Griffin, a final year medical student at the University of Birmingham and a member of the BGSM editorial team. Today I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Murray, a consultant in sport and exercise medicine currently working with the University of Edinburgh, the Sport Scotland Institute of Sport, the Euro- European Tour Golf and the Scottish Rugby Union. His previous roles, in- roles include w- working for the Scottish Government as their first physical activity champion and you may have heard of him through his ultra-marathon running exploits, completing and often placing first in challenges such as the North Pole Marathon and the Gobi Challenge. He's also very prominent on Twitter, so you're a busy man, Andrew. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Delighted. Um, so today we're going to be speaking and concentrating on really about your work within golf, um, something that listeners may have uh, seen in the media of late. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your work within the sport? I've always been intrigued by the opportunity to get more people into physical activity and sport. Working for the Scottish Government as a physical activity champion, I guess a clear focus of mine was to get more people to be more active more often. And I guess one of the inequalities we faced in Scotland is that our older adults are the least active. So levels of physical activity in our children are grown up and are reasonable. Levels amongst young adults are pretty good, but middle-aged and older adults present a considerable challenge. And I started working for the European Tour and the Challenge Tour Golf, and it, it kind of got me thinking. I think that potentially the benefits of taking part in sports such as golf, something that can be played from people, by people from the age of four to 104, are substantially underappreciated, not only by, I suppose, healthcare practitioners, but by the, by, by the people that actually play themselves. So working with the World Golf Foundation, working with the University of Edinburgh, and working with a range of different folks internationally what we've tried to do is just to try and work out a what is actually out there what evidence is there relating to golf and health how can we share this more widely uh, for people that don't have time to do the research themselves and also what are the actual research gaps what do we know and what don't we know so what we've done is conduct a scoping review just to look at the extent of the literature see what we do know and then what conclusions we can draw from it for listeners who might not know, so this is the basis of your PhD, isn't it, with the University of Edinburgh? Can you just take us through some of the main findings? So the main findings is there's actually a great deal of information out there in relation to golf and health. We looked at more than 5,000 studies and 300 are directly relevant to golf and health. And these come from a range of different geographical locales. Um, and many of them deal with injury, many of them deal with illness, some of them deal with longevity and a range of different factors pertaining to golf and health. There's a good deal of stuff looking at physical health and a bit less relating to mental health. And some of what we know is that golf can provide moderate intensity physical activity, whether you're using a golf cart or whether you're walking the course. And essentially there are more health benefits that are accrued by walking the course compared to using a golf cart. Um, but both are moderate intensity physical activity for most people. The other thing that is clear is that golfers live longer compared to non-golfers, and some of that may well be due to the physical activity that they get when they're playing the rounds. We do know that physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of many chronic diseases, including uh, early death, and avoiding early death is always a good thing. But also in relation to type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, stroke, colon cancer, depression, dementia, breast cancer, all showing uh, between a 25 and a 50% reduction with regular physical activity. So golf being a moderate physical activity, I think, uh, shows that it can potentially provide a lot of those benefits. And indeed, when you actually look at the studies that are specific to golf, it does appear that it's got uh, beneficial effects on 
risk factors for cardiovascular disease and positive associations with metabolic health, respiratory health, and with wellness as well. So it appears that it's associated with improved longevity, um, and it may well also have positive effects in relation to physical health and wellness. The other thing that's clear from the review is this huge opportunity here uh, to actually work out some other priority areas and things that may be interesting to look at, uh, specifically golf and mental health, but also looking at health behaviour change. There's not much actually looking at how we can convince more people to take part in physical activity, be that golf or other type of things, or how can we actually address issues within golf. So if golfers are potentially at higher risk of skin cancer, how can we influence them to, for example, uh, wear appropriate clothing, to use sunscreen, etc., etc. So I guess there's a fair bit that we do know, but there's also further opportunity um, to learn a bit more. And we're delighted that it's been published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, both as a review, but also as an infographic, I suppose, just distilling the key facts uh, in visual form. So hope, hopefully that's attractive. But also, congratulations uh, to BGSM on their new impact factor 6.7, which I believe is the highest of any sports science and sports medicine journal. In terms of concrete, um, concrete facts and sound bites that people who you know might be trying to persuade relatives to take up golf, you mentioned increased longevity. Um, exactly, you know, if you're playing golf, how long, you know, how, how, for how much longer can you expect to live for? Well, the studies that we have show that those that do play golf live five years longer than those that don't play golf. But golfers are different to non-golfers, so it's unclear whether that's due to the fact that they are taking part in regular physical activity, and that is likely to be part of why they live longer, but it could equally also be due to other factors. So further research is required on that. But what we think is the best available evidence suggests that golfers live longer than those that don't, and probably part of it is due to the fact that they're getting regular, moderate or, physical, uh, or vigorous physical activity through that. There's also very positive effects on uh, lipids and cholesterol and also on body composition through some controlled studies, mostly taking part in Scandinavia. Um, but I think studies looking at the cause and effect relationship specifically uh, on longevity and for mental health would be priority areas to further look at because in terms of concrete stats, some of that is lacking at present. And I guess that's not the purpose of a scoping review. A scoping review is to see what's out there and look at a widely framed question rather than to really drill down into huge detail and systematically evaluate every study that we've had a look at in terms of quality. But you've touched on some of the psychological and mental health effects of golf. Yeah, so it does appear that golf is good for the body, but also good for the brain. Uh, and we do know that regular physical activity has a range of huge benefits in terms of anxiety, depression and dementia. The studies specific to golf show that it's likely associated with improved self-esteem, self-worth, self-efficacy through the physical activity, but I think also that exercise out in green space and the, so the, the social connections that can occur through golf are positively talked about. And looking specifically at depression and dementia requires further research because there are a few studies that look specifically at golf. Uh, although obviously some extrapolations can be suggested from uh, physical activity more generally. So you, we've talked about actually playing golf, but really interestingly, and I've seen on social media, um, you're also researching the health impact amongst spectators at events. Playing sport is usually associated with health benefits, but actually, could it be true that spectating may also have health, have health benefits as well? 
because golf is not completely unique, but certainly different in terms of spectators don't tend to be stuck to a specific location or in a specific seat. But often what they'll tend to do is to follow their favourite player or see what the players are up against by walking the course, often accruing you know, 10,000 steps by walking the course and getting health-enhancing physical activity that way. So we don't know that spectating is likely to be associated with health benefits, but some provisional work uh, looking at the Ryder Cup and also tournaments in China reveal that spectators do get health-enhancing physical activity, and it's just a question of how much. So further research is certainly required on that, and Paul Laurie um, and the European Tour are very keen to look at research at their events, and indeed we led a, a pilot study uh, at a recent event in August at the Paul Laurie Invitational in Scotland. So I guess it brings me on to a slightly wider subject in terms of we do think that playing golf is overall associated with health benefits. Spectating, we don't know, but there's a suggestion that it may well be. Um, but the exciting thing about this project is also that we've got a number of ambassadors that are looking to talk and to promote physical activity more generally. So whilst not everyone is going to win the Ryder Cup or the US Open or the Olympics or whatever, we have got a range of ambassadors that are really keen to share the message about that, you know, even if you can't win these tournaments, you can actually get the same health benefits that we get from walking the course um, in terms of longevity, physical health and mental health. And I think that's what we're, we're keen to do is not only actually do the research, but work out how we can widely communicate and share these sort of findings. Um, so please, if you are listening to this podcast, feel free to look at the Golf and Health website, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and uh, help our famous ambassadors share the word about physical activity in, and golf in particular. The concept does seem, you know, great and quite new that, you know, spectators could be actually accruing health benefits while whilst watching. Is this something you think is, is is unique to golf and do you think other sports, you know, could try and to, to have more active participation? I think so. I mean, watching the Olympics was just absolutely fantastic, but I must admit I spent a fair bit of time on my couch doing that. Um, so what I actually did after a few days was install an exercise bike there or go up and down the stairs uh, and get a wee bit of physical activity while I was actually watching. But I do think that there's a couple of things that may be relevant for other sports through the study. The first is active spectating is something that I think that can be accomplished and golf is well positioned on it because people tend to be quite active and they're spectating anyway. But the provisional research study showed that actually spectators are really interested in physical activity, they're interested in watching the big stars, they're interested in getting fresh air, but they're also very interested in physical activity and things they can do to actually benefit their health. So that's quite exciting. And I think it may well be applicable to other sports, and you can imagine people wandering around Wimbledon or uh, other sporting venues, taking in a bit of the venue, seeing about the culture, but also, I suppose, getting health by stealth and getting a bit of physical activity and health enhancement that way as well. I think, I mean, the other interesting thing is that the scoping review, I feel, is a very useful method in terms of looking at a wide area um, and looking to see what is out there in terms of the actual research and also how we can share those lessons. Because, I guess, in terms of sport, the most recent systematic review that looked for evidence of benefit in particular sports by Pekka Oya's group in Finland showed that at that present time, only only running in football could confidently demonstrate health effects. So I think that scoping review is a useful way and potentially quite a nice cookbook that other sports could potentially use um, to see whether they can also demonstrate that overall it is likely to be associated with health benefits, which is useful in terms of encouraging participation, but also can be helpful in discussions with policymakers.
Okay, yeah. And for, for you know, for any um, you know academics who might be listening, you know, might want to you know repeat the work uh, the work that you've done, um, and you know, use it as the inspiration to do a scoping review within this sport. As first author, do you have any sort of tips in terms of the process of going about it? We found it a very satisfactory process, and there are some excellent guides that we've used. Uh, a great paper by Arx Namali. The Duana Briggs Institute have also produced a guide as to how to conduct scoping reviews. And that's the method that we followed and just added our own touch based on what we thought would be most relevant to the study that we conducted. So a scoping review is a bit like a systematic review in terms of it's systematic. You publish a protocol, it's a really rigorous and reproducible method. Uh, but there's also the opportunity, unlike a systematic review, to look a bit more widely at a specific area. Um, and because of that, you don't drill down into the actual quality of the studies, but it gives you the opportunity to look at all the evidence and everything that's out there, so it can sometimes give a richer picture. So I could thoroughly recommend it for um, other sports or other physical activities that are looking at a wide area. Scoping, have you also looked at injuries in more amateur golfers, um, some of the health issues encountered? Absolutely. So in terms of golf, overall, the instance of injury is moderate, and a systematic review by Cabri et al. in 2009 showed that. And reviews have also showed that the rate of injury uh, per hour played is low because golfers tend to play quite frequently and tend to play for long periods of time. So although the overall incidence of injury is moderate, the rate per hour is actually quite low. The most frequent cause of injury in amateurs and professional golfers is kind of volume of repetitive practice because what people are doing is putting lots of biomechanical force through precise anatomical locations time after time after time. So it tends to be an overuse type injury. The kind of suboptimal bias, swing biomechanics are also a frequent cause of injury in amateurs. Uh, and regarding specific sites of injuries, the lead side, i.e. the left arm and leg in a right-handed golfer, are more frequently injured than the trail side. Um, the back, the elbow, the shoulder are frequently injured in amateurs, while the wrist and back are the most frequently injured areas in professionals. And golf injuries tend to mostly be overused. They tend to be quite predictable, and it's a really satisfying sport to work in because you kind of just accrue a bit more knowledge and a bit more knowledge and work with the likes of Roger Hawks and various other uh, great doctors out there and work closely with the player, with their caddy, with their coach, with their physiotherapist and European Tour Performance Institute just to drill down into exactly what's going on and I suppose do three key things. Uh, identify the diagnosis, work out exactly what's going on, uh, have a clear plan of attack as to how to make it better. And thirdly, the thing that we like to do is also, I suppose, recognise that prevention is better than cure. So work out how we can actually prevent this issue coming back. And often it is looking at things such as the volume of balls that are being hit or the volume of strength and conditioning, working out whether the intensity of the practice or other factors of that can contribute also, and looking at biomechanical factors. Again, sometimes that's golf-related in terms of swing changes or different clubs or whether they're hitting off mats. And some of it can be related to other things that are non-golfing. And that's, I suppose, a key challenge that the professionals face is they are highly itinerant in terms of they're travelling all over the world. Each week they're going somewhere different. So I suppose a lot can be accomplished in terms of preventing illness and injury, but sometimes it's a bit difficult to keep track of folks. And we can do that in the context of tournaments, but... You know, golf is brilliant to work with them. The European Tour, the European Tour Performance Institute are great in terms of what's actually getting done. But I guess, I mean, further research is needed to just work out 
some of the conundrums we face. And again, I mean, there's some great stuff in the August edition of BGSM looking specifically at wrist problems and looking specifically at hip issues in amateur and professional golfers. So they're well worth a read if you get the chance. Okay, I think we're, we're building up a pretty sizable reading list here. Um, and just to add to that, there was a great blog by um, Nigel Tilly, one of the physiotherapists, uh, who works at the Performance Institute, um, which will also put a link below that really talks about, you know, um, as you know, it talks about, um, you know, injury prevention and also, um, you know, load monitoring and things. Um, so I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. Thanks ever so much for your time, Andrew, and especially, you know, it's great to see the work, uh, the work that you're doing, and I'm sure this will be, you know, well, this will hopefully kick, kick, kick start a lot of other sports to, you know, to follow your example. Appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Stephen. No problem. And listeners, yeah, you can follow Andrew on Twitter at DocAndrewMurray. And also um, you can follow news about the, uh, the project by following at Golf and Health on Twitter and on Facebook as well. And then please feel free also to contribute to the hashtag iGolf2 campaign that's also going on. Um, it's quite entertaining on Twitter as well. Um, as always, please feel free to get in touch with the BGSM through the usual social media channels um, with any podcast questions or requests. And we hope you join us again soon. Have a great day.